0: Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with Worldwide Impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. In John chapter 10, verses 24 to 26, Jewish leaders challenge Jesus to identify himself. And here's what he has to say, the Jews then gathered around Jesus and were saying to him how long will you keep us in suspense if it's true for the sake of argument that you are the Christ the Jewish messiah tell us plainly john 10:25 jesus answered them i told you already and you do not believe even the works i do in my father's name these works testify of me they give a clear and they give clear and irrefutable evidence that I am God. John 10:26. but you don't believe because you are not my sheep. You're unbelievers. The, the psuchikos man, the natural man, doesn't understand the things of God, the Holy Spirit, because they're spiritually appraised. And so the Jews rejected their Messiah, even though they were all deep into Scripture and all deep into the Mosaic Law, They completely missed all of the signs that the Mosaic Law rituals were teaching about how they could recognize the Christ. Completely missed it. Now, if Jesus was the only one to claim that he is God, it wouldn't be enough. In Jewish jurisprudence, in the Jewish law, a testimony becomes believable when it's supported by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So the Lord's works done at the request of God the Father are one testimony. He healed the sick. He, he took f- five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000 people. His works testified that he was God because only God could do something like that. But there had to be other testimonies, two or three more, that would also testify that he was God. John the Baptist gave a testimony in John chapter 1, verse 29, And John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, sin of the world. God the Father also testified that Jesus is the Christ. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed Jesus, James, and John. This was the transfiguration where Jesus was showing himself as he would be in the second coming. So while Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed Jesus, James, and John. And behold, a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, the Lord, God the Son, with whom I am well pleased. And Peter, listen to him. Shut up, Peter. Well, every time believers in Christ enjoy the Lord's Supper, we too testify that Jesus is the Christ. That's one of the reasons that God asks us to celebrate the Lord's Supper as a testimony. That Jesus is the Christ in our hearts. God the Son in human form. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 affirms it. For Jesus, for in Jesus the Christ, all of the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So at Barah Ministries, we know who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is God. You know, how do you get to heaven? I asked one of the kids yesterday, how do you get to heaven? Believe in God, not good enough not good enough. It's believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he was buried, that he died, was buried, and was resurrected from the dead. That's what made him special. Believe in Christ. God's too generic, because there are a lot of God's, small g. All right, now why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord. We make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of unbelievers to give them the gospel message, the good news concerning Jesus Christ's salvation offer. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of Christians as well. Those of us who want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the study of his word. Now, let's face it, most of us don't want that. We don't want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord. We want a surface relationship with the Lord. We got five or six, seven or eight different sources that we consult, and we stay in our little sources, but we aren't seeking anything. See, the people that are worst in life are the people who have more answers than questions. See, I've learned over the course of my lifetime that when I had all the answers, that was ego. Ego's not effective. And so all of a sudden, when you start getting the questions, and you can, you can even ask questions of, of kids and see, well, what is your perspective? We were talking about something ye- yesterday called multiverses. What was that thing? Is that it? Multiverse? Yeah, we're talking about that. I had no idea what it was, right? So I'm not going to stand there and pretend like I knew what it was. I'm gonna, well, tell me about it. I don't know anything about it. You don't have to have an ego. Because ego's not effective. The I life is dead for Christians. And people who struggle in their Christianity are people whose ego is so big that they don't want to be vulnerable, and they don't want to uh, show that they don't know everything, see? And that's not what Christianity is all about. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. So you have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship, not only with God, but with human beings, when you can be vulnerable. And the way we become vulnerable as Christians is through the study of the Word of God. Now, why do we study the Word of God? The Apostle, Paul, uh, the Apostle John's testimony couldn't have said it better. John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, These things written in the Bible have been written so that you may believe. That's a word that permeates John that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in him, you may have the resurrection life, eternal life, in his name. Now, God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says this, Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. At a future time, Satan will be dethroned from his rulership of the world. And make no mistake, God owns the world and owns the universe, but he put Satan in charge of planet Earth. Now, if you have ever wondered about Romans chapter 13, where it says all authority is put in place by God, and you say, wait, wait a minute, was, Hitler was an authority. Did God put Hitler in place? Yeah, he did. Well, did he put Ayatollah Khomeini in place? Yeah, he did. Did he put Sa- Saddam Hussein in place? Yeah, he did. Well, so how could he put evil rulers in place? How about Satan. He put an evil, the most evil being ever, Satan, in charge of planet Earth so that he could prove his boast, so he could demonstrate that he has the capability that his ego says he has. And what are we learning? His ego is no match for God, none, none whatsoever. Now look, God created us to be dependent creatures. He wants us to to depend on him. We are dependent creatures. We're going to depend on God, or we're going to depend on Satan and his system. So, and by the way, why wouldn't we want to depend on the most powerful being in the universe? Well, Satan seeks to control our will by making us so arrogant that we will act independently from God. There's the ego. Satan wants us to depend on him. Satan wants us to think we can be godlike. It's the first step of many, of Satan getting us to think that we don't need God. Because if you start thinking you don't need God, then all of a sudden you don't need anybody. Look, let me, let me clue you into something. On this earth, you need relationships. If you're a person who thinks that the only relationship that you can have is with God because people are so bad, you are completely missing it. You need people. And the people you need are imperfect, flawed, horrible, weird, you name it. And you have to count on them. So if you need perfect people to count on, you're in big trouble. So here we got these dependencies on these these. These people who are flawed, like my son, you know, he's supposed to be here at 8.30, he gets here at 9.10, lets the whole, 9.15, lets the whole team down. Doesn't think anything of it, he'll say, I'm sorry, and then he'll do it again two weeks. All right? So what, what are we going to do? Well, we don't need you, get out of here. No, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to him being here. We're counting on him being here and doing the job he signed up to do. That's why God gave a variety of spiritual gifts, right? You need your baby toe. You don't think so until you stub it and you find out what a gripper it is when you're walking. And then all of a sudden it starts hurting and you think, wow, I need that. Or how about me? You know, my left big toe, split in half. You know, it's going to take two years for that to be back. Don't make pictures. It's split. All right? I can show it to you at the break. You don't have to make pictures. But we're counting on all of the pieces, I'm counting on all of the members of my body, just like we count in Christianity, on all of the members of the body. And if we're going to be successful as a body, we have to be vulnerable with each other. And when you're vulnerable with somebody, you can, you're counting on them and they can let you down. When you're vulnerable with somebody, you're counting on them and they may not live up to your standards. So what? You don't live up to everybody's standards either vulnerable. I had a guy call me on the way in who was talking about some vulnerable feelings he was having just before a very important event in his life. I was so proud of him because he's a young guy and he's learning to have texture in his life through having vulnerabilities and he's, he's man enough to call somebody who's older than him, who's down the road, who's fallen in every pit along the way, and say, hey, is this normal? Yeah, it is. Congratulations. Let me give you a high five and a big hug for becoming a man and not playing it off with macho and pretending like men don't hurt. We do. So Satan wants us to think we can be godlike, though, He wants us to think we don't need God. We don't need anybody. We're self-sufficient. And he lures us into thinking that we can build a do-it-yourself spiritual life. And I can't tell you how many people have told me in the course of my lifetime that me believing in Jesus Christ is a crutch. You're damn right it is. It's exactly the crutch I want. And it's the only crutch I need. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 says this, For those who practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness, that's a description of unbelievers, exchanged the truth of God for a lie, their ego, and worshiped and served the creature, Satan, rather than the creator who created the creature and them, he who is the blessed one forever. So that's what happens when ego gets in the way. Unbelievers have ego in the way of going to heaven. Because they're too proud and too self-sufficient and too macho and too wonderful to make God their crutch. Okay, knock yourself out. That's an eternal decision. So, whenever you think you're depending on self, you're not. You're lying to yourself. You're puffed up. You're arrogant. Your ego is too big. Because you're really depending on Satan, the ruler of this world, who has inculcated you with his system of thinking. And you're buying into his rebellion against God. But by, and by believing his lies, you make yourself a sucker for his insidious deceptions. But I think it's best to depend on the one who created you. Amen? Amen. All right, then. Got that off my chest. <laughs> off the soapbox, let's get on with the lesson. Today's Bible lesson, don't let human philosophy blind you to the truth. Don't let human philosophy bind you to the truth. Well, whenever a new church is budding, the ruler of this world, Satan, sends his ambassadors into the church to ruin it. Such was the case in the church at Colossae, the recipients of the next letter that we are studying, written by the Apostle Paul. In today's lesson, we'll overview the problem in the church at Colossae, and as we do every month, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. And in today's Lord's Supper lesson, we'll learn how we became reconciled to God. Well, let's hear some music. When we place our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, we have hope. One thing we hope for is the certainty that once we are saved, we are saved for all time. John chapter 10, verse 28, guarantees it. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Well, here's one of my favorites, Danny Gokey, to remind us in his song about the hope in front of me.
1: Never end Trying to make it on faith in a struggle Against the wind I've seen the dark in the broken Places oh, But I know in my soul No matter how bad it gets I'll be Alright
2: There's hope in front of me There's a
1: The storm you'll finally find Where the hurt and the tears and the pain are far behind
0: Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for taking care of things that are plaguing us, even before we know it. Thank you for all the things you do to protect our health. Thank you for all the things you do to extend our lives. Thank you for all the things you do to mend our relationships. Thank you for all the things you do to provide for our well-being, especially providing us with the promises of the Word of God. Remove all impurity of thought, word, and deed from us. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of you. Show us how to love others as you do, and give us the courage to lead them to a relationship with the Lord, your Son. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, don't let human philosophy blind you to the truth. Don't let human philosophy blind you to the truth. Well, we continue our overview of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Four chapters, 95 verses of absolutely amazing. In listening to the first chapter, we learn that Paul starts the letter with the solution to the Colossian problems. And we're going to learn as we get deeper into the study of the verses That what was going on is Paul was in prison in Rome, and a buddy of his, Epaphras, who was ministering to him in Rome, had started a congregation in Colossae, and came over and said, Paul, some stuff's going on in the church that's bigger than me, man, so I need you to to help. Now is in the middle of nowhere, it's like Mesa, Arizona. You know, who thinks of Mesa? And actually, Mesa's not really in the middle of nowhere because it's the second bi- biggest city in Arizona. But, uh, but in the scheme of things, really a nothing city. And Colossae was that as well. It, it, at one time, it was a really great city. And then uh, a road change took all of its commerce away. So it was just nowhere. And so Paul writing to a nowhere group has got to cause some pause. Like, why would you do that? And so what we're going to find out today is what was going on in that church that would make him do it. So Paul, unusually in this letter, starts with the solution, which is the solution to every problem we have. What is it? Christ. He is the solution to every problem we have. Now, I I just said that to a bunch of believers. There's a solution to every problem we have. What is it? And they're staring at me like, tell me, tell me. It's Christ. This is Christianity. Hello, we're in church. Wow. Yeah, thank you. So anyway, it's Christ. He starts with the solution. And so when we study that first chapter, we're going to get the best description of Jesus Christ that you have ever heard in your entire life. And you're going to see the depth of how much he loves you and cares for you in that chapter. Second chapter, and a lot of pastors like starting with the second chapter and going back to the first because they want to get to the problem first. Today we're going to look at the problems that are going on that made Paul write the letter. So the next question we answer in our multiple question overview of Paul's letter to the Colossians are these. First of all, when did Paul write the letter? Well, Paul wrote the letter in 62 A.D. He's coming to the end of his life, but 62 A.D. Where was Paul when he wrote the letter? He was in prison in Rome. He had been in prison for two years. And when you're in prison in Rome, you ain't got much else to do. So the brother took out the pen and paper and started writing. See, That's what it was all about. And what was God's purpose in getting Paul to write this letter to the Colossians? Because Paul didn't do anything without God's permission. And it was to get an answer to, uh, to get an answer to this question. Let's take a look at Colossians chapter two verses one to 23 to see exactly what the problem is that the Lord wanted Paul to address. Let's begin at Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. I, Paul, want you Colossians to know, all of you Colossians to know, how great a struggle I have on behalf of all of you Colossian believers, and for all of those believers who are Laodicea. Laodicea, if you take a look at your map, Laodicea was very close to Colossae. And so it was Laodicea and Colossae and Heropolis, Those were church, there were churches there that Paul was very fond of, but he sent this letter to the Colossians knowing that it would be taken to the, to the Laodiceans and to the people in Heropolis. So I have a great struggle as it relates to you guys. And for all those believers who have not personally seen my face. Now, what's Paul announcing here? He's announcing that he's not going to meet them. He's never met them, and he's not going to meet them, but he's sending them a letter. Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, because your hearts were knit together in unconditional love when you became believers in Christ and having attained all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. I have a lesson in me that I cannot wait to teach you, and I don't know when I'm going to get to teach you, whether it's going to be next week or the week after the week after, but it will blow your mind when you think about what this is saying, that when we become believers in Christ, our hearts are knit together in unconditional love, and at the moment we become Christians, at that single moment in time, we have all the wealth that we will ever require and we will never need one bit more. And that wealth is called Christianity, a relationship with Christ. And it's the wealth that comes from a full assurance about what's going to be our future. That when we close our eyes in this life, We will be absent from this body and face to face with the Lord with no questions asked. A full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. And one of the things you'll hear in this chapter over and over and over again is knowledge. Knowledge and wisdom and knowledge and wisdom. And you've got to ask yourself, why is he harping on those concepts He's harping on those concepts because there are false teachers with false teaching coming in with their knowledge and their wisdom, perverting the truth. And that's what happens to your Christianity. You get this perfect gift at the moment of salvation that needs nothing else ever. And then you go off and investigate all this other stuff like you need something else other than that gift. And you know who did that? You know who was the biggest perpetrator of that? Solomon. Solomon. Solomon, the son of David, the richest man ever, the best-dressed man ever. And what did he do? He had Christianity in a beautiful little box, a perfect gift. And what did he do? He went off to find out if there, were, there was something better, the better life. And so he investigated sex and education and eight other things. And what did he conclude? Vanity of vanity it's all vanity. There's nothing new under the sun. And the conclusion is this. Believe in Christ and do what he tells you to do. And that's, that's how good our God is. He lets us go, bang our heads against the wall, over and over and over and over and over again until we get it that he is enough. That he's all we would ever need. It's beautiful. I can't wait to teach you that. I may teach you that for ten lessons in a row. So, back to Colossians 2.2. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in unconditional love, and having attained all the wealth that comes from full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. Colossians 2.3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ you don't need any other wisdom, and you don't need any other knowledge. In union with Christ, you have everything you need. Amen? Amen. Colossians 2.4. You may notice in the notes that I bolded this one, because this is a theme of the problem. I, Paul, say this to you so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. See, that's what Satan does. After you get this perfect gift called Christianity, he comes in and tells you, that's not enough. You need more. You need to add something to it. Or he tells you, well, it's pretty good, but it's deficient in some way. So because it's deficient, you need to add something to it. Look at the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. All right, they claim to be Christians. They are not Christians. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. They are not Christians. I don't care how many times they say it. They are not Christians. They believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are different people with different power. They believe the Holy Spirit is an electricity force. The Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, is a satanic cult with a family face. That's what it is. You don't believe me? Read the book, The God Makers. A guy who was progressing in Mormonism and got to the top levels and found out that it was a Satan worshiping cult and left the church and evangelizes to Mormons to get them out of there. That's what it is. Nobody wants to stand up and tell you the truth about it. That's what it is. It's a beautiful family face. It's a satanic cult. And if you got into some of the stuff that goes on in that religion, you would be shocked. Well, what are, what, what are we hearing from the Mormons? Okay, we got the Bible. Yeah, that's all well and good. We got the Bible. But the Bible's not enough. So we've got the doctrines and covenants. We've got the pearls of great price. And we've got the Book of Mormon. All of which really enhance and help and make this better. There's nothing that makes this better. There's nothing that makes the Bible better. The Bible is completely sufficient on its own and definitely doesn't need help from a man. And that, that, that's the funny thing about Mormonism. It's like, okay, so here is Joseph Smith sitting there, and God the Father and Jesus Christ are talking to him and saying, and you know, my church has gone crazy. Can you help? Pass the joint. Pass the joint. He was high. Believe me. That's insane. And millions of people believe that crap. Millions. Colossians 2 4 again, put it up. I, Paul, say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. There's the problem that was going on in Colossae. Paul, Epaphras, establishes a church, and they're learning the Word of God, the accurate teaching about the accurate truth, and in come the ambassadors of Satan, false teachers with false teaching, offering them something better. That's always the way, Colossians 2.5. For even though I am absent in body, that's Paul talking about himself, even though I'm not there with you, physically, Nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Colossians 2.6. Therefore, just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in union with him. You don't need to change one thing. How did you believe in Christ? Faith alone and Christ alone as the ticket for eternal life. What, do you, what else do you need? Nada. Nothing. Nothing. Just saying that for my Mexican friends. Amen? (laughs) (laughs) Colossians 2.7. Having been firmly rooted like a plant and now being built up, edified like a building in him, in union with him, and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Here's another bolded verse. Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy. What is philosophy? The love of wisdom, philos, the Greek word philos, love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And sophos, wisdom, sophistry, sophomore. What's a sophomore? A second year student, a wise fool. They think they know everything, but they know nothing. Philosophy, the love of wisdom. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, an empty deception according to the traditions of men. Can I get an amen, Larry? Systematic theology. The traditions of men. Oh, when you become a believer in Christ, you get there through faith alone in Christ. But once you become a believer, you can get yourself out of fellowship with God by sinning. And then when you sin, you just admit that to God and you're back in fellowship. And You do that 125 times a day, because Jesus Christ didn't pay for all your sins at the cross. 29 years I spent in that lunacy. 29 years, lunacy, lunacy, absolutely crazy. And I've got some friends who are still in it. And if I even suggest it, you know, I'm oh, Rory's gone off the rails. Rory's off the rails. No, there wasn't even a train in that thing. Off the rails? What rails? That's warmed over Catholicism. Oh, don't confess to a priest, just confess directly to God. Oh, good, yeah, that's that's a good deal. I like that a lot better. Only thing is, every reference to confession in the Bible is public. It is never private. See, so all you got to do if you want to pull off the systematic theology thing is keep people out of the Bible and add in all this other crap. Empty deception. That's what's meant by that. According to the tradition of men. According to the elementary principles of the world, the curriculum of Satan's world system, rather than according to Christ. Christianity is a nice little gift that needs no help, that is completely sufficient. Colossians 2.9. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. One of the lessons I'm going to teach, Christians are full of it. Christians are full of it. What are we full of? Christ. Christ. All the fullness of deity dwells in Christ, and he indwells us. We are full of it. We are full of everything we will ever need to be the most amazing people ever. And it's appalling that we as Christians are in doubt. Like, oh, God willing. God willing. You know, I sure hope so. <laughs> it's just so funny. Colossians 2.10. And in union with Christ, you have been made complete. There it is. You need nothing else. In union with Christ, you've been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and all authority. Why would you ever listen to anybody else? Somebody comes to you with empty deception and philosophy. You say, did Jesus Christ say that? Where, Where exactly did he say that? You just pick up your Bible and say, where is it? Where does it say that in the Bible? It's too easy. Easy for you. You didn't have to live 33 sinless years under the, 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 the most temptation ever, die the worst death in human history, be in a grave rotting for three days, and then be resurrected from the dead. You didn't have to do any of that work. You didn't have to hang on a cross and pay for every sin of every human being, every creature ever. Yeah, it's easy for you. And we don't even believe it. Colossians 2. Eleven, And in union with Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh. A total break from the flesh. When you become a believer in Christ, a total break from the flesh. The flesh that you have in your body is dead. And you know what you do on a regular basis? Necrophilia. You go back and consort with that dead thing, and it's talking to you, and you're listening to it. It's telling you, you're stupid. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you made that mistake. I can't believe you thought that way. And you're saying, yeah, me, I can't believe it either. You're listening to a dead thing. Amen? Amen. Stop listening to it. Tell it to shut up. Say, thanks for sharing. Shut up. Or as June would say, stick a sock in it. (laughs) Amen? Amen? (laughs) so we have a total break from the flesh by means of the circumcision of Christ a a spiritual circumcision by which he places the entire trinity indwelling you you are a special group of believers the church age believers and the entire trinity indwells you the spirit The Son, the Father. Completely neutralizing the flesh in your body, even though it's dead anyway. Colossians 2.12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which baptism you also were raised up with him. See, once you become a believer in Christ, you experience everything that he experienced. Death, burial, resurrection from the dead, through faith. By the working of God the Father who raised Christ from the dead. Colossians 2.13 And when you were spiritually dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God the Father made you spiritually alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to read that again. Because if that doesn't choke you up just a little bit, then you might be dead. You might not want to pass by a funeral home today because you might get snatched off the street. Amen? When you were spiritually dead at physical birth, in your transgressions, in Adam, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, spiritually dead on the wrong side of a barrier, Helpless and hopeless to do anything to get yourself out of the predicament and without a relationship with God. (laughs) Yeah, just rebound. Just admit it and forget it. God the Father made you spiritually alive together with the Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Colossians 2.14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, a written code, consisting of decrees against you, an indictment against you, which was hostile to you. And he has completely taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Colossians 2.15. And when God the Father had disarmed the rulers and authorities, these false teachers and their false teaching, completely neutralized, completely disarmed, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Christ. We look forward to that event. This is what Romans, the Roman army used to do. They would go into an area. They would conquer the area. They would walk their generals back into Rome. They would take all of their stuff and all of their women and walk all of that stuff right back into Rome. They would execute them publicly, and then they would split up their stuff and take their women. Amen? And one day, we as believers in Christ are going to witness that. But it's going to be unbelievers. And we're going to see that God completely disarmed every leader that was against him. He always does. Oh, yeah, there's more to Christianity than doing this. making a sign of a cross. There's a lot more to Christianity than that. And the best is yet to come. So when God the Father had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Christ. They won't get to hide. They can run, but they can't hide. They're going to have to come out of the dark into the light. Colossians 2.16. Therefore, no one, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. The Jehovah's Witnesses say, you can't celebrate your birthday. We don't celebrate holidays. Okay, don't. And don't take any transfusions either. Please, don't get any medical attention. Die off sooner. Please. Help the gene pool. Colossians 2.17 Things... All these things, don't eat, don't drink, don't touch, all of these things which were a mere shadow of what was to come, the cross and Christ. But the substance of things, the reality, belongs to Christ. Everything that happened after the cross. So, again, these last three verses are bolded. Here's the boldest, Colossians 2.18. Therefore, let no one keep on defrauding you of your prize, What is the prize? The freedom of the resurrection life. By delighting in self-abasement, asceticism, and worship of angels, astrology, taking his stand on visions that he's seen, mysticism, inflated without cause, arrogant by his fleshly mind, ego. Colossians 2.19. And not holding fast to the head, Jesus Christ, from whom the entire body of Christ, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God the Father. Colossians 2.20 If you have died with Christ, first class condition if, if and it's true, and of course you have, to the elementary principles of the world, the world has no hold on you. Sin and the law have no hold on you, believers. Why? As if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? Why are you listening to false teachers and their false teaching? Why do you think you have to make Christianity better? Colossians 2.21. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. You need to fast. If you fast, you'll be more spiritual. You'll be cleansed. If you fast, you'll be hungry. Amen? People see stuff in the Bible, and they think that just because it's in the Bible, it made sense. There are a lot of people in the Bible who did really dumb stuff. David wandered out onto his balcony, saw his best friend's wife nude bathing in the next yard, brought her into the castle, had sex with her, and then eventually tried to cover it up and sent her husband to the front line to die. Should we do that too? Because it's in the Bible? No. No. And this is what people are always telling you. Oh, you're so much more spiritual if you don't eat this food. Oh, you're so much more spiritual if you don't taste. Oh, you're so much more spiritual if you don't touch. If you get some cords and walk through the street and beat yourself with it, you're so much more spiritual. If you cover up your hair, if you women cover up your hair, you'll look so much more non-sexual and you won't tempt men. I I don't know if I'm just weird, but I like it better. (laughs) Amen. Amen. I, 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 you know, I don't mean to be like that, but I, I don't. But I was in, I was in Malaysia, and Malaysia is eighty degrees and eighty percent humidity, and these beautiful women are walking around in these burkas, and the way the 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 burkas flow is just, I don't know, I don't know, I don't have to tell you that, but I just want to be truthful with you. Amen. I do. I want to tell you the truth. I'm willing to say what you're not willing to say. I'm willing to say what you're thinking. It's unbelievable that they think that that somehow makes women less beautiful. It doesn't. Colossians 2.22, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teaching of men. Why are you listening to men? Now, Paul Acknowledging and disposing of the opposition, Colossians 2.23. Now to be sure, these are matters which have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. Oh, I think I could, if I mix Roman Catholicism and Buddhism and Jehovah's Witnessism and make my own religion, that would be even more spiritual. No, you will go deeper into the pit of hell. So these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, asceticism, but they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They don't take away your lust. They don't take away your morality, thinking you're better than everybody else because you're following some stupid set of rules that you came up with that you don't keep, you break on a regular basis, but you're a great liar cover artist. Well, just imagine what this is going to be like when we study it first by (laughs) verse. We just overviewing it right now. You don't even know what's up in there. This is four chapters of Power Pack Punch in the Gut. Oh my God, OMG, what just happened? That's what Colossians is. And it addresses something that we're dealing with every day because the world is propagandizing you. It's propagandizing you and it's telling you all these false concepts that you just readily adopt because they're new and they sound good. And we don't bother to go back to check to what the Bible says. Because the Bible's old, man. I mean, it's too... What is this? 2,021 years old. And maybe four more years, you know, when did it close? In A.D. 90, it's, it's, it's two, two, 2,100 years old. I don't know. It's old. It needs to be updated with our modern thinking. No, all modern thinking has gotten us is deeper into the pit. These are principles that don't change. Truth never Changes. If you, don't eat, if you eat meat on Friday, you're going to hell. Oh, wait. Uh, you can eat meat on Friday now, and if you don't go to church on Sunday, you're going to hell. Uh, but you can go Saturday too. Okay. That must have been the truth. But why did it change? Because counterfeits always change. Counterfeits always have to change. And they're never good enough. So this chapter, chapter 2, highlights the four problems plaguing the Colossian church. False teachers from fa- with false teaching, selling them with worldly philosophy, mysticism, asceticism, and legalism, anything to distort the total sufficiency of your Christianity. Well, we have something to look forward to when we study this amazing chapter. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll enjoy the Lord's Supper.
2: Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line with well, all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. Trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you read. For the world to see, nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. When Moses had stage fright, and David brought a rock to a sword fight, You picked twelve outsiders nobody would have chosen, and you changed the world. Well, the moral of the story is, everybody's got a purpose. for the world to see nobody but Jesus So let me go down, down, down in history As another blood faithful member of the family And if they all forget my name, well that's fine with me I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus i
0: Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, don't let human philosophy blind you to the truth. Don't let human philosophy blind you to the truth. Well, Nike has it right about living. Just do it. At Barat Ministries, we have it right about giving. Just give it. That's right. (laughs) Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages.
3: Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barra Ministries. Barra Ministries is a worldwide Christian church, and this is a place for real, real people who want to listen to a real pastor, teach the real truth in the Word of God. And each week I kind of have to think of something to kind of segue to what I'm talking about, and this week I was wondering, I was thinking, you know, people always think that everything that's free has a catch. There's, there's going to be a catch for it, and I feel like people, they walk by Christianity, they, work by our, they walk by our church each week and they see free stuff. None of them grab it. None of them take a pen or a book or anything. They think there's a catch or something. I think that goes with Christianity. A lot of people hear faith alone and Christ alone. Well, it can't just be that. They always think there's a catch, so they want to investigate more. And so I was thinking we need to just start charging. We charge at the door, maybe we'll charge per seat. We can talk about it. You know, we're open to, you know, we're open to stuff. But really, you know, if we started doing that, it wouldn't be a gift, right? Because you don't charge for a gift. Just like you don't charge for advice. You don't charge for those kind of things. Um, and we don't charge for saying faith alone and Christ alone. We don't charge for coming in here or anything. Because a gift, you give freely. And I was thinking, you know, back in the day, who, who, who got the first? Does anybody here grow up with a radio in their house that everybody got around the radio? And it was as big as a TV box? I wonder who got that first as a gift. I never dealt with it, but it made. Yeah. <laughs> well, they didn't even have power in his house, I think. So, yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: but I'm thinking, you know, we're always combating Satan in this world, you know, and he he hates this church, he hates our unity, and I think Satan sponsored the radio because, you know, it started out as a group group activity with unity, and you'd have to have a little imagination listen to the radio as you're with your family. And then it evolved to the TV. She still had the group activity, but the imagination is gone. It's all on the TV. And now we have the tablet, which goes directly to the individual, directly to our children. Satan has a direct line of contact to our children. And so if I have any advice, I would say, limit your screen time. adults and children. If you're a, if you're a parent, limit your screen time with your children. It's, it's direct, I mean, it's just a direct channel from Satan. To your children and all these, all the little cartoons and all this stuff seems funny, and little games seem funny, but it all is nefarious. It all has a it all has a, a reason to be there. It's not just there to be free. It has a catch. And so, I I think it's interesting. Pastor brought up that he had was giving a friend advice, and the friend called him because he was older. And so here I am giving advice now. So I guess I'm old. <laughs> Damn, <it> sucks. <laughs> But, you know, the gift of advice is just something to give for free. It's a point in the right direction. It's pointing them to the small gate, letting them know the real reason we're here on on earth. And so I was going to tell a little bit of advice since I'm old now, and I've got, you know, I don't have the, the, the snow or whatever you called it. It was just gone, I guess. But, you know, I already said reduce your tablet time for your children, and I had another one. If you're thinking about having children, just realize that the diaper vomit, no sleep phase is the easy part. It gets way harder, way more complicated, just like life. Um, another thing, you know, the bathrooms downstairs, the key, the access code works for those. This time of year, they're often cooler and they're unoccupied. So it's a good piece of advice for everybody here, right? But you've got to be a resident to know that one. Um, the other thing is uh, one last, or well, not the last thing, but second. Pastor was talking about his orange shirt. Got to go all the way.
2: Sons and four.
3: Sons and four. That's also good advice. Root for the sons. But the biggest piece of advice is just faith alone and Christ alone, right? And that's all we have to do is just give people that kind of advice. Very simple, very easy. So I went and looked in the Bible for some more truth to back up what I was saying. Somebody else is combating the Satan-inspired <clears throat> attacks on the church and attacks on, on Jesus is 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, a lack of deep emotional concern for him, how does the un- unconditional love of God the Father abide in him? See, we not only have the funds, but we have the knowledge and the wisdom that most people need to know. And it's so easy to say. It doesn't cost us anything. It doesn't cost them anything. It's just a little advice. You may feel old for giving advice, but it's worth it. Because this church is the best advice we can get. And it's great that you've all come here each day and each week. And the biggest thing is just study and let everybody else know about this. And by funding this, you're helping get out the truth. You're helping get us, you know, worldwide. And June's got another, another uh, CD, on, on I guess, ongoing. So that we'll have that to look forward to. And so thank you for always supporting this church, our old pastor and your old deacon. We really appreciate it. Go, sons.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you been praying and you still have no answers? Have you been pouring out your heart for so many years? Have you been hoping that things would have changed by now? Have you cried all
0: back. The Lord's Supper celebration. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ reconciled us to his Father. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ reconciled us to his Father. Well, welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration. It's a regular observance for believers in Christ to set aside time to think about the deep, intimate, and personal relationship we we have with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we reflect, we look back to the cross, the most intimate, moment in divine history, and we remember the Lord's words in John chapter 15, verse 13. He said, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. The Lord laid down his life for us at the cross. He was buried, and on the third day he was resurrected from the dead to prove that he is who he says he is, the sovereign God of the universe and the Jewish Messiah who holds all things together by the word of his power. And every month we obey the Lord's command in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, which says this, as often as you eat this bread, representing his body, and as often as you drink this cup, representing his blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. In this sacred celebration, we commune with the Lord. We enjoy the elements, the bread and the wine, and as we do, we remember our dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ, a vulnerability, both for our physical sustenance and our spiritual sustenance. Well, when you think of the word treason, who comes to mind? Perhaps the name of one of the greatest generals in United States military history comes to mind, Benedict Arnold, whose name has become synonymous with treason. Before he decided to sell out his country to the British, reportedly he was quite an accomplished leader. Well, what is treason? Treason is a betrayal. It's a violation of allegiance. It's an attempt to overthrow a sovereign. Or a government Well, what's the most egregious act of treason, treason ever perpetrated in the human realm? It's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the Lord gave instructions to the first man, Adam. The Lord commanded Adam, saying, "'From any tree of the garden, you may eat freely." Genesis 2:17. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Adam and Eve rejected God's instructions, disrespected their relationship with God, and caused the fall of the entire human race. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 says this, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave the fruit also to her husband with her, and he ate. Adam and Eve decided to become God's enemy. It was not God's wish for them. It was their choice for themselves, the self-life, the ego life. Satan did the exact same thing in the angelic realm. He chose to make God an enemy, and cause the fall of all angelic creatures. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14 say this, But you, Satan, said in your heart, I will ascend to the third heaven. That's the residence of God, where the throne room of God exists. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. That's where the angels in the second heaven live. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. That's the first heaven, the atmosphere surrounding the earth. Isaiah fourteen fourteen. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, which means I will take over the function of God, except he's not going to be willing to die for you. I will make myself like the Most High. He wanted to be God-like. Satan's fall caused the fall of all angelic creatures. There is none righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Adam's fall caused the fall of all human creatures, and the broken relationship between God and his creatures needed to be restored. The fall of creatures caused a breach between God and creatures, an enmity. What's an enmity? It's a feeling or a condition of hostility, hatred, ill will, animosity, antagonism. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, shows the effect of the rebellion. Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, God the Son, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What caused this breakdown in the relationship? What had Adam and Eve running away from God? Sin. The voluntary choice to disobey God. In the human realm, here was the result. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and spiritual death entered into the world through sin, so spiritual death spread to all men, because all men were considered by God to have sinned when Adam sinned. And notice Adam is the one who gets credit for the sin because he was the authority in the relationship. He was the one God instructed in Genesis 2.17. So if you ever wonder why you were born physically alive and spiritually dead, now you know. The relationship between man and God was broken, and it needed to be mended. And the mending of a relationship is called reconciliation. So what is reconciliation? It's the restoration of friendly relations. It is when former enemies agree to make amicable truce, bringing back a state of harmony. The funny thing is, about this reconciliation, the funny thing is that it was not initiated by the perpetrators. Typically, if somebody betrays you, what you expect is that they're going to make the attempt to reconcile. But that's not what God did. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 say this, It was God the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity to dwell in Jesus the Christ. Colossians 1, And through Jesus to reconcile all things to himself. God the Father initiated, even though he was the one who was betrayed, having made peace through the blood of Jesus' cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Reconciliation is something that we as human beings would never consider doing without God's prompting when it comes to reconciling with somebody who has betrayed us. God did it without prompting and in the most sacrificial way. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this, Jesus Christ himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to the sovereignty of sin and so that we might live to the standard of imputed absolute righteousness. God crediting his righteousness to us at the moment of salvation as our admission ticket to heaven. For by his wounds, you were healed. You were healed means you were reconciled to God the Father. The result is nothing short of miraculous. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, Colossians 1, yet Jesus Christ has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death on a cross in order to present you before God the Father, holy and blameless and without reproach. That's incredible. What is it that God the Father blessed us with through Christ? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. Now all these blessings are from God the Father, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, believers in Christ, the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God the Father was through Christ reconciling the wor- world to himself. How did he do that? Not counting their trespasses against them. Why? Because Jesus paid for them on the cross. And God the Father has committed to us, believers in Christ, the word of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore, we believers in Christ are ambassadors for Christ, representing Christ in a foreign kingdom. And it's as though God the Father were making an appeal through us. Why? Because he is. We beg you on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God the Father. The sacrifice of reconciliation. Jesus Christ repaired the breach, the enmity between us and God the Father. And we are reconciled by his work on the cross. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 19. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, the Jews, a circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Ephesians 2.12 Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in the commonwealth of Israel, God's chosen nation, strangers to the covenants of promise and not allowed to participate in them, having no hope not waiting for a Messiah, and without a relationship with God in the world. Ephesians 2.13. But now, love those words when I hear them in the Bible, you were up the creek without a paddle. That's what those first couple of verses said. But now, in union with Christ Jesus, you Gentiles who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ that he shed at the cross. Ephesians 2.14, for Jesus himself is our Irene in Greek, our peace, which means God has nothing against you. Jesus himself is our peace, who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one new group and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. How did he do it? Ephesians 2.15, by abolishing in his flesh, his earthly body, the enmity which is the Mosaic Law of Commandments, contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two groups into one new group, the new creation. If anyone is in union with Christ, there is a new creation, thus establishing peace. Ephesians 2.16 So that he might reconcile them both in one body to God the Father through the cross. By the cross, having put to death the enmity. See, the sacrifice Jesus made at the cross broke down the barrier between us and God the Father and made possible the relationship again. Ephesians 2.17 And Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away, you Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. Ephesians 2.18 For through Jesus we both have our direct access in one God, the Holy Spirit, directly to God the Father. Ephesians 2:19. So then, you are no longer aliens and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with all the saints, and you are of God's household. You are now, as a believer in Christ, a possession of God. You are in the so great care of God. You are in God's bullseye. He got up this morning thinking about you, only he didn't get up because he wasn't asleep. Amen? He doesn't go to sleep like you do. What God has done for us, reconciliation through the cross, he expects us to do with others. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. And whoever has a grievance against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive others. So let's reflect our Lord's example in everything we do, and especially in relationships. Reconciliation. Well, let's enjoy the elements. Bread and wine. The Lord gave us these things to remember him, and we will enjoy the elements together in a few moments as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. But obeying the Lord's command, and we keep on celebrating Christ regularly, We eat bread to remember who he is as a person, and he is the only sovereign God of the universe. And we drink wine to remember his work on the cross, the voluntary sacrifice he made to deliver us from sovereignty to sin. And we remember with gratitude what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done to save us. So when the hour came and his crucifixion was set for the next day, Jesus reclined at the table, and the apostles reclined with him. And then Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I say to you, I shall not eat it again until all that it means is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when Jesus had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is being broken for you. Keep on doing this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper. And after they had eaten, he said, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. So, let's keep on eating this bread, let's keep on drinking this cup, and let's do both to remember the Lord. Let this celebration encourage our hearts and our minds, filling us with awe and reverence and gratitude. Let's keep on being transformed by the Lord's life, his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to God the Father, his seating. At the majesty's right hand, and by the nourishment we get from his word, which feeds our soul. So let's hear some music, the Lord's Supper song. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 reminds us of what our Lord did at the cross by obeying his Father. God the Father made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be a sin substitute on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in union with Christ. As believers in Christ, you have a plus R stenciled to your forehead. Absolute righteousness. And when you get to heaven, when you close your eyes in this life, that plus R will be totally recognizable. And it is your admission ticket to heaven. In other words, as Mercy Me explains in their song, at the moment of your salvation, God made you. Flawless.
2: There's got to be more Than going back and forth You're too amazing and Righteousness
0: Closing moments of our lesson today are for the benefit of anyone who does not have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life. And He certainly wants you to make the right choice. So here are seven things for you to consider if you're seeking a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Point one there is a God. And he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. The first four four words of the Bible confirm his existence. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning, not a beginning, God. God isn't shy about telling you who he is. Joel chapter 2 verse 27 says this, I am the Lord your God and there is no other God. God is your creator. John chapter 1 verse 3. All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Point two, the Creator created you. You are one of God's creatures, and He had a purpose in mind when He created you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God the Father said, Let us make man in our own image, the image of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, according to our likeness. You are a spiritual being, and as such, you require a spiritual life. Point three, God has a plan for all mankind. God is organized. Acts chapter 2 verse 23 tells us that the earth and the universe were created as part of a plan by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God the Father. God made all of his decisions in eternity past, and we watch them unfold every day. Point four, God has a personal plan for you. Because God created you, God knows you intimately. God knows you by name. There never has been a time that your name hasn't been in his mind, and there never will be. Matthew chapter 10, verse 30 says this, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. God custom made you. And he custom-made a life designed specifically for you. Point five, God reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. God wants you to know him. He is not hiding from you. He is not hard to get to know. He does not work in mysterious ways. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says this, For since the creation of the world, the Lord's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his deity Keep on being clearly seen by everyone, being understood even through what has been made, as reflected in the things of nature, so that all mankind are without excuse in the matter of knowing of the existence of the Lord. God doesn't work in mysterious ways. He works in entirely predictable ways. Point six, God's enemy, Satan, does not want you to know God. Satan does everything he can to keep you ignorant about God. Second Corinthians chapter four verse four says this, "The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, so that they might not see the glory of Christ, which is the exact reflection of God the Father." Are you aware of the ways Satan is lying to you about God? Point seven. You owe God a hearing. Since God created you, you at least owe Him a hearing. He has placed a desire inside of you to know what is beyond yourself and what is beyond the life that is visible to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. The Lord has made everything appropriate in its time, and He has also set a desire for a knowledge of eternity in everyone's heart. Do you spend any of your time getting to know God? The conclusion, there is nothing more important for you in this life than a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, Whoever received him, to them the Lord Jesus Christ gave the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus Christ's name. Therefore, Acts chapter 16, verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. But heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Consider these things and then get to know the Lord today. Do it now. Well, let's close with music. When we think about God's reconciliation offer, which we just heard in the gospel message, we have a single choice, which June Murphy reveals in her song, I Stand Amazed.
4: said I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I stand amazed, I stand amazed, I stand amazed.
0: June let's close with words of worship for our almighty God Ephesians 1 3 worthy of praise is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us believers in Christ in eternity past with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms a place of permanence through our union with Christ God wants us to enjoy his gracious provisions Ephesians 1, 7, and 8, in Jesus we have redemption, that is, deliverance from slavery to sin through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the glorious wealth provided by his grace, which he lavished on us, including as a gift, wisdom and insight. Ephesians three twenty. not a God the Father who is able to do far more abundantly all that we could ever ask or imagine more than is humanly possible, according to the divine power, omnipotence, that works within us. To him, be the glory, through the church-age believers in union with Christ, and to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for enlightening us with the truth. We thank you for opening our spiritual eyes, which we are so prone to close. We thank you for reminding us of our dependence on you and of our dependence on others around us. We encourage you to help us to become vulnerable with each other, to endure that feeling that happens when we're vulnerable with each other, knowing that we're placing ourselves in another's hands, and help us to notice what happens when we place ourselves in others' hands because there will be some who really know how to handle that and there will be some who abuse it. And let us gravitate not toward those who abuse it. Let us gravitate toward those who are gentle and who are willing to be vulnerable as well. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.